welcome back to Victory Drive. Uh, today we've got Luke from Arrowhead Rifles. How's it going, man? Hey, not too bad. We had uh, two days of rain here in Phoenix, so oh, have it's you? Uh, out of the ordinary. I'd, I've been due for a range trip, and I mean, growing up in Iowa, you, you know, it was not unusual to get rained out, but here to go two days straight with a bunch of rain is not something you usually have to worry about right do you guys have like monsoon season down there at all like we're just yeah that's that's not till like uh july august is when that usually kicks off so i think i haven't looked i I think i saw a number somewhere where like we've had almost uh, we've had more rain than we do annually already on average uh so it's been been a super wet year it's be a should be a great year to have an elk tag here which i do not i I came up with uh, nothing in our draw. They, the results just came out a couple weeks ago, but got a few buddies that are pretty pretty stoked. They they got their number called. Yeah, as I say, I lived in El Paso for a few years, and it would get it would get real wet there. It's kind of around the same time frame that you were saying. And yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's in Iowa, right? Like you, a storm comes through, and it. I mean, you, you do get some localized stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, you can have the whole state covered. The monsoon season hits, and it's like you can just be the hardest rain you ever see. Like, can't see more than 20 feet into your backyard. <laughs> and then you go go a mile over, and it's just a bright, sunshiny yep. day. So it's, it's uh, yeah, pretty it's uh, pretty interesting. Very bizarre. And plus, it's, the, it's a desert, so that, uh, I don't know, that sand and stuff, when it gets really wet like that, it just gets real nasty. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's just clay, mud sticks to everything, and then I mean the the flash flooding and stuff is a real you know you hear hear stories about it growing up, but mm-hmm. it's uh it's pretty wild how yeah. the water starts coming down out of the mountains and those uh, dry creek beds are like raging rivers for half of a day and then then yep. they're gone. But I saw saw on Instagram today a couple of. Uh, uh, some of my buddies down here are firemen and they were digging, digging cars out of the, those dry runs. They tried to, you know, do the crossing and got, got swept off, uh, downstream. But, but anyway, I don't think we're here to talk about the weather. Although no. that, you know, that, that's, uh, <laughs> no, that's, could, uh, that's totally fine. The, the, the standard, uh, Midwest conversation. <laughs> yeah. How's the weather there? But Dude, uh, back to my point, it's like it's something you don't even don't even talk about when you live in Arizona. Now it's uh, mm-hmm. like I said, it's pretty unusual. So uh, that's uh, been a nice thing. Test I mean, test firing guns. Well, at least for eight months out of the year, it's it's nice. You don't have to worry too much about having nice weather to do it. It does does get a little rough in the summer uh, when we have to head out to test fire and it's mm-hmm. you know, ninety degrees in the morning. You know, at seven in the morning, yeah. hundred. 120 uh, later in the day, but you know, that's only a couple of months. So we get, we get by, but mm-hmm. uh, Mirage, uh, it's funny. I see a market improvement and how, how good a groups I shoot once we get through summer, just cause the, the Mirage is oh, so yeah. bad down here. You're always uh, struggling yep. uh, with that. Yeah. We know, we noticed that in uh, like Afghanistan a lot too. Like the snipers would always say like during the summertime, it was, it got pretty hard to shoot you know, long distance when the mirages start kicking up in the middle of the day like that. But the wintertime is nice and easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty wild. When you, uh, I've seen it in Iowa too, I guess 
I was at a buddy's range shooting over a, we had the, he just mowed his uh, CRP, I think it was August, right? I forget when I was up there, but uh, had had a bunch of rain, just mowed his CRP, and then it was like 75, 80 degrees, and it was some pretty vicious mirage coming up off of that uh, grass with all the humidity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's because it's so, yeah, it's so wet. And you live, because yeah. you lived in Iowa for, you grew up, were you born or raised in Iowa then? Yeah, we just moved down to Phoenix in uh, 2018. Uh, my wife's not from Iowa. I, I think I've told this story a few times, so yeah. probably some listeners, it'll be redundant. But uh, she couldn't, she didn't really dig Iowa weather, which, you know, you can't really debate that, that it sucks <laughs> a lot of the time, so uh, she's got family fairly close to Phoenix and there's direct flights back to Iowa. So we, we relocated out here about five years ago. And that's actually when I quit my day job. I started Arrowhead back in 2011, just as a side job and it slowly grew. And, uh, yeah, in 20, well, I guess, uh, I think it was late 20. Well, no, I think I made it a couple of months into 2018 before I quit the day job and, Okay. I've been full time with Arrowhead since I moved out here to Arizona. So, what were you doing for your day job before? So, I I got my mechanical engineering degree from Iowa State and ended up in it's called microelectronics packaging. But we a lot of interface with circuit boards and uh, my well, the last job I was at, we did a lot of cell cell phone components like RF power amplifiers. Uh, I worked with. The electrical engineers came up with the design and then I, or at least how the circuit worked. And then I helped put it together from a packaging standpoint and make sure it was manufacturable. We were talking a one, one product line I worked on actually ended up having over a billion units made for the life cycle. So it was some ultra high, yeah, volume manufacturing. I mean, not every product that was an exception. It was a, a low cost product that got used in, I think a lot of phones overseas and stuff were, were you know, just a real budget-minded consumer and super high volume. But, right. uh, you know, anything, everything was basically into the millions. Like if we weren't going to make, I mean, these parts sold for $1 to $5, so you had to make a lot of them to to make it worth the time. Yep. But it, that, uh, I mean, and then I guess my uh, uh, prior job i was at a rockwell collins so i was in the military gps side there helping with the packaging so uh probably like the dagger uh i was i worked on some of the components that went into that which gotcha. sounds like if you were in the military you might be familiar with uh some of those devices yeah yep but but guns are a lot more fun yeah. than that so <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you have you always been a gun guy like growing up did you grow up with guns? oh yeah else? i mean my grandpa had a safe full of 22s and oh, yeah. I mean, it, probably not super, like definitely not something I would let my grandkids do, but he basically just let my brother and I handle them whenever we were. And I, I, I need to ask my mom about this story. I remember I lost his, which I now own my, my grandpa passed a few years ago. And I, I, I have it in my possession, a Marlin 39, a uh, lever action 22. And, Oh, I think he was letting me run around his house with it. And somehow I like stashed it behind his couch. It went missing for like, oh, no. several months. Or oh something. no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've good always good been shit. A, just uh, run around yeah. being rambunctious <laughs> right. and hiding shit. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, so I've, I've just always been obsessed with guns as long as I can remember. Uh, and, and just into tankering, which, I mean, it kind of segued well with the main mechanical engineering degree, but, oh, yeah. uh, Arrowhead got started back in 2011. I bought a Savage 10 ML2 right after I graduated college in you know, 2006. And, uh, Savage, it was one of the, like the first high volume smokeless capable muzzleloader. And some of them shot great. Some were, not so good and I had one like eventually I got it to shoot good spent a lot of time in the internet researching like how to get it to shoot and I got it to shoot fairly well in its 50 you know original 50 caliber configuration but it was it was really finicky so uh there was there were some guys that had figured out if you rebarreled them to 45 cal that that was a much better performer and there's a, a barrel company out of uh Oregon called Packmore. They're, they're still in business, uh, but they, they were doing, uh, uh, pre-fit barrel, pre-fit replacement barrels, but the lead time on those barrels, uh, I, I mean, recall exactly those like 12 to 16 weeks. You ordered one up. It took to get one in, which at the time seemed like a really long time to wait to get a barrel. But I mean, now I would pretty much kill for a 12 week lead time on on a barrel blank yeah. uh, in, in the current industry. But so I, I saw, you know, the opportunity to just to make a little extra spending money. So I ordered, ordered 20 of them, got a little bit of a, of a volume discount and was going to you know, flip them. And actually those, those 20 were all pre-sold uh, before they even showed up, you know, whatever it was, 12, 14 weeks later. Oh, geez. And then I just, this is when you first, this yeah, is when you first started, right? First started. Okay. Yeah, there was, I mean, it was, I was like a, $6,000 order worth of barrels. So there was like, man, I don't, you know, are these going to sell? Like, you know, it's, it was a pretty big investment for me at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, those, those had deposits, uh, on them from customers before, yeah, before the batch even got there. So I started offering breech plugs and other muzzleloader parts. And, uh, then guys wanted, you know, didn't want to do the barrel swap themselves. So I started doing that. And then, uh, you know, 11 years ago, not, you know, no formal gunsmith training. Uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, my, I'd classify my work as pretty, pretty rough, uh, back then, <laughs> but it's been, uh, uh, you know, it was still a, a better muzzleloader than you could buy in the factory of what I was putting out then, but, right. yeah, you, or buy you, off the shelf in a store. Yeah. You didn't quite have it perfected, but at the no. same time, it was still better than what was already out there. So you're still exactly you're, you're still doing your part as a yeah. as a custom manufacturer, I guess you know, where you're like, hey, it's going to be better than what you got. So, and and what I was charging for my work back then was pretty much matched the, the quality I was putting out. So I I did a lot of a lot of gunsmithing for not much profit. Definitely learned a lot. Uh, you know, now of... I, looking back at what I put out now compared to then, I kind of grimace a little bit, but. Well, uh, you know, you, it's a learning process exactly. for sure. It's it's like an art form, you know. You, you don't just come out all of a sudden Peyton Van Gogh, you know. You got to practice at it, and especially if you're doing it for other people, you're obviously you're going to be selling them at a cheaper price when you're learning. But you know, as time goes on, you get better at it. So right, yeah. Abs- absolutely. And so that, yeah, now I'm, I mean, very very proud of the work we're putting out. Now I I feel like we've 
really got things dialed into science with the muzzleloader. And then oh, about the time, I think I started a year or two before I moved to Phoenix. So probably going on six or seven years, I've, I've started doing some center fire rifle builds. And mm-hmm. uh, this year it actually looks like I'll do uh, about 50, 50 muzzleloaders and center fire rifles. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, up until this year, it trended uh, heavier towards the muzzleloader side of things, but we're starting to, uh, really take on a lot of uh, center fire builds. So, did you start with muzzleloaders just mainly because you were living in Iowa? And yeah, I mean that living? was what. Yeah, they were they were, you know, it was uh, your a way to get past two hundred yards for deer hunting. So that yeah. was yeah the the sole reason I was into it was to be able to shoot further at deer. And yeah. at the time, Iowa was a uh, shotgun muzzleloader only. Mm-hmm. So uh, now I think you can use 35 cal bottleneck cartridges in Iowa during the gun season, but they saw the muzzleloader seasons where you know the, mu- the high performance muzzleloaders really uh, shine. But yeah, it was uh, strictly to yeah for a better deer hunting rifle is, is what what got me into it, and that's that's been my focus. I haven't. I've shot some PRS matches, which are a ton of fun, and I highly recommend and everyone should go out and shoot a few PRS matches. Just the the, the confidence it gives you as a shooter, mm-hmm. the practice is is really I I've I've actually only shot three of them, but coming out of those three, it's like wow, that really helped me as a shooter, and I actually need to get back out for a couple. It's been a I think two or three years since I've done one. I've got some buddies here in town that I've been. Tell them I'm going to drag out. We're going to laugh at each other because it's. I mean, it's going to be going to be rough, but it'll uh, it'll be good. It's uh, it gets uh, it it gets you shooting from positions you're not used to shooting. Everyone likes to just go out to the range and shoot from the bench and bags. And I mean, I really discourage that. Yeah, I mean, you need to do it when you're testing out a load and zeroing a rifle. Mm-hmm. But once your rifle's zeroed, like get off the bench, start shooting from field positions. Yeah, for uh, sure. Because points of impact change, like you know, you're you're definitely not going to be rock solid like you are on a bench when you get out in the field. And that's, I mean, I don't know what the statistical number of misses are are that are caused by people not practicing field positions, but it's got to be the majority of them. Oh, for sure. Uh, is, the is, other, the other good. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say it's one thing to, yeah, it's one thing to be really good at bench shooting, you know, and that that is a skill in its own, you know, and it's it's cool, you know, getting really nice tight groups, and but I'm the same way where, you know, I'm I'm a hunter, and you know, it's like you're never really you're never gonna be shooting off a bench in that perfect of a scenario, so it's really good to use utilize the bench and everything you have to, you know, on a lead sled if that's what you you've got a lead sled and what. Uh, everything throw else the, throw the lead sleds in the garbage yeah but, uh, okay I think, that's i mean that's a, i think so, they're fine for for zeroing and then once you're done with that one done with that process and moving on you know but so i i would actually debate that they're even good for zeroing oh really what, it depends on what what rifle you're using but the uh the movement of the gun is like especially on like a slug gun or a muzzleloader all the the bigger like or even the straight walled cartridges, like a 450 Bushmaster, a fairly big bullet, mm-hmm. relatively slow velocity. Your gun moves a substantial amount before the bullet exits the barrel. So, I I actually uh, discovered this 
back in college because I was I'd zero and I'd use a lead sled or a bunch of bags. I'd zero my slug gun. And then I'd go out and I'd shoot every deer like in the spine. And I was like, yeah, what the heck? I had a good, you know, I was well rested, like this gun zeroed, like what's going on? And it's actually your you the gun recoils so much more freely that that muzzle is rising and it's raising your point of impact. Oh, okay. So, so I so do that's I do have to preface sorry, too. Ahead. I do have to preface. I've I've actually never used a lead sled. I just said that because oh, I know yeah. I know a lot of people do. So I was just using yeah. that as an example. I'm not like a lead sled yeah. advocate, and I've never actually used them just because right. I've that, that's I, good. I, I just never. I don't know. I'm I'm, a, I'm kind of a cheap fuck when it comes to certain things, and I've just never really thought of spending the money on something like that. But I know sure. some people do, and some people like them, and so I just I, this is what I preface. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a lead sled guy sure. per se, but I, I've seen people use them. I'm like, okay, yeah, if that's what you want to do, use it for zero and whatnot but this is really cool that so you so are you saying that when you're shooting i don't know let's say offhand that you're it change that that completely changes your zero from like going from a lead sled to actual oh shooting yeah positions? yeah i mean it's like a your 223 not not that much right because super light bullet relative to the weight of the gun shotgun you know a 460 grain one ounce projectile moving very slowly like your your shotgun's moving a bunch before that bullet exits. Brian Litz actually has posted in the last if you follow Applied Ballistics on okay. Instagram, highly recommend following Brian. Uh, lots of great great information. But he's he posted a, a high speed shot of a three thirty eight Lapua muzzle and how much it travels from when the trigger's pulled to when the bullet actually exits the barrel and it's it's substantial really and i think i mean it's just the math equation but i think he said like uh five thousand so basically just under two hair human hairs of movement equates to like an inch and a half of movement at 100 yards well that's significant exactly yeah Yeah. so it's it's yeah so really it's the the heavier the bullet the lighter the gun the more it matters but it, it definitely matters. So, I mean, sure, use the lead sled for testing out. And even that, like, it's pretty hard on your optics because it shocks, you know, it shocks your optics with arresting the movement okay. and stuff like that. But So I actually never really if, knew you know, any of that had... stuff about the lead sled and stuff and everything else. I never knew any of that shit. So that's really, I'm glad I said that. I know a lot of guys that use them and use them quite yeah. a bit, especially in the zeroing process. So. Yeah, and it, I mean, for maybe testing out your loads and stuff, sure, use it for that if you have to. But, like, even – so do a pre-zero with that, but then, yeah, definitely check your zero from field positions, and you might, you know, you might be surprised yep. uh, and see see a shift mm-hmm. from there. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I just kind of – you know, I shoot all – I'll go to the muzzle or the range and shoot these muzzleloaders 30, 40 times, and, and you just mm-hmm. kind of got to – don't – don't tense up and just kind of roll with it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not, not the worst. Of course we have uh, 10, 10 years ago, wasn't using much for muzzle brakes and stuff. Now we pretty much run a muzzle brake on everything we build now. Yep. And that, that definitely takes some of the, the punch out of them. Sure. That's one thing uh, I've, when, with my shooting, I've always really focused on just, you know, obviously being relaxed and making sure I'm doing my part as a shooter whenever I'm, whenever I'm shooting. But, uh, oh, what was this? Probably, I think it was two years ago now. But I was shooting my muzzler. I have a CVA Wolf, which is a 
you know, cheaper CVA wolf. It's, it, it's nice. I think it definitely gets the job done. But, uh, man, I was using 150 grains of, uh, triple seven. Okay. In it. So I was like, okay, you know, it, it had a good amount of punch, but then I went to the store. I need some more powders. I went to the store and there wasn't any, uh, triple seven anywhere in any of the stores. So I was like, fuck. And there were some white hots. So I grabbed some white hots and I'm, I, I've heard that they, they run hotter, you know, especially in the name, the name's white hot. So I, you, you obviously know, I'm, you know, what I'm talking about, right? With the, oh yeah, yeah I'm from the, the honestly, I've hots. never used white never hots, used, but okay. I mean, I'm familiar. I know all of them. Okay. Yeah. So compared to triple seven, um, black powder is significant, a pretty significant difference. Cause I loaded up with 150 grains of, uh, white hots and they're the pelletized form. So it's three, three pellets in my, in the tube, loaded her up, shot it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's significant difference. So I was changing, I was kind of zeroing in, getting a little bit close, and I went to shoot my second shot, and that fucker came back, and it bit me in the eye, and I've never been scoped before in my life, and that bit me in the eye, I'm like, damn it, I'm like, that kind of hurt, I'm like, geez, this is like, this is running pretty hot, so I went to run one more shot just to see where my three-shot group was at, shoot one more time, and that fucker came back again, and it smoked me in the eye so hard that I, I, I was like, damn it, this is ridiculous, I put my hand up. And it was just covered in blood. I ran Hell inside yeah. and I, I was dabbing it up. And I could see my skull through my um, oh, wow. cut in so deep. I'm like, geez, Louise, this is crazy. So I put some butterfly sutures on it, went back out to the range. I'm like, I think I'm just going to run this at 100 grains and yeah. <laughs> lower it down. And my groups were wow. off. You know, they were kind of, it was kind of, it was zinging them a little bit too fast, I think. So I lowered it down to 100 grains. I'm like, okay, that's where I need to be. But man, that, I did not yeah. think it was going to be that drastic of a difference between triple sevens and uh white hots yeah that's that's surprising yeah the the one thing like the the rule of, rule of thumb or whatever you want to call it but more it more does not equal always equal better performance with the muzzle loaders like right. the uh the other thing is barrel heat uh it can really get you when you're running a sabo uh so oh, that sure. was actually going back to that 10 ml2 i bought i got it in August, ran out to the pasture and started shooting and just load and shoot, load and shoot. And it was like spraying bullets everywhere. And it's, it's the, the more, the higher performance, the muzzleloader with Sabo, if you're shooting Sabos, the more it matters because the, the higher the pressure, the more the plastic Sabo has to withstand. If mm-hmm. you heat that barrel up, the plastic gets soft. And that's actually a, an issue with slug, shotgun slug guns too, is if you, you heat those barrels up and the, the Sabo in uh, the, the shotgun will start to degrade. Uh, our muzzleloaders now, we actually run a, a copper bullet, lead core bullet that goes straight to the barrel. There's no Sabo okay. or anything. It's just sized precisely for the barrel. So uh, heat's, heat's not a real real factor. I mean, you shift your point of impact a little bit, but mm-hmm. I mean, I can go out here in August and shoot sub MOA groups as you know basically as fast as I can load and shoot the gun. Jeez. So it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Yeah, but that is awesome. Um, so the, when you're talking about sabo, like uh, the difference between sabos and running your um, solids or what whatnot. Uh, so when you're shooting sabos. That's not if you have a fifty cal muzzle loader. That's not a fifty caliber slug that's coming out then. Correct. Usually, it's it's so. a 
Oh, well, I guess in the, they make a variety, but no, typically it's a 45 cal bullet nope. in a 50 cal Sabo, 40 cal bullet in a 45 cal. They do make some where like, uh, you could go from a 50 to a 40. And that's, you know, in the conventional muzzleloader, you're probably fine doing that. But it, with a, with like a, something like the Savage muzzleloader, uh, as that plastic gets thicker, it doesn't hold up as well. So you want to kind of keep it within that 50 thousandths, uh, distance from, so just that 50 thousandths step down, 50 okay. to 45, 45 to 40. Uh, but I think the probably the harvest harvester and MMP probably make the the best sabos out there now. Okay, um, I have I haven't really sabos are are fine in a conventional muzzleloader. Like I said, as you step up the performance, they get kind of iffy, and we don't do, deal with them at all in our muzzleloaders now. But back when I was shooting more sabos, the 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 harvester sabos held up the best for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So when you're um, when you're building these guns and, uh, are you, you're taking it out and test shooting, are you sending like the, like the load dead out with the customer and stuff? Like, this is what they, what we were shooting it at and like, this is what we're using yeah. and everything else. So th- there's really not much need for load development with these custom muzzle loaders. Uh, the, the barrels are super consistent, okay. the bullet, the size of the barrel. So. I don't vary the load at all when I test fire. I haven't found a, a muzzler that when everything's put together right, it won't shoot the same load well. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, yeah, so the same load, same powder. The, and a lot of the reason for that is like you go, you start with a, a center fire rifle and you've got the head space of the cartridge, the neck tension of the, of the bullet and the brass, the throat, the, you know, the jump to the lands, uh, your, you know, your primer seating that, I mean, there's just all these factors that go into center fire accuracy yes. that go out the door with the muzzler because you're starting the bullet right in the rifling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's typically the, these muzzleloaders you build are, are the most accurate gun someone owns and that and that's guys that have lots of custom rifles come back to me saying that uh the consistency out of them is is just ridiculous because we've taken so many factors out of the equation oh shit with them yeah wow that's amazing yeah yeah if, if i if i take a muzzler to the range and i get over an moa group with it i mean if the first group is over moa that's that's unusual it's it's generally three quarters to half MOA. The first oh, shoot I shoot out there. Oh yeah. With, with no, <laughs> no load development. I mean, it's just, it, it's ridiculous that, Damn. Oh, that, that gun I built for, uh, Trump jr. Three or four years ago, it was, uh, it was a heavier build. So obviously the heavier they are, the easier they are to shoot. But mm-hmm. uh, it kind of goes back to where we talked about like point of impact shifting from lighter guns. We were talking 300 grain bullets going 2,800 to 3,000 feet per second. So they, they rocked, <laughs> they rocked pretty good. Dude, that but is so fast. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> there and the carnage is unreal. I mean, it's like, kind of like prairie dog hunting for deer. Like, oh, the, it, yeah. 
if you if you want to eat shoulders, stay stay away from the shoulders. Yeah. Uh, we'll put that way. Just go for go for headshots and right. take a couple hundred yards. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty gruesome at times, but but I took that gun. And I was just goofing off with it. I think it was August here too. It was it was hot. I know. I put I put fifteen shots through three quarters of an inch with that thing. What? Just, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my. God. God, dude, that's crazy. So, I'm, yeah, I'm rocking my CVA Wolf, and man, I'm pretty stoked if I get, you know, a three shot group within an inch. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, that which would you know, be, I mean, that's that's like, man, I mean, that's it, shooting fucking good today. Yeah, and that gun's, I mean, yeah, it's just apples to oranges. It really. is. The it's completely lighter. different. Yeah, it works. It, yeah. it works completely different. It's just a complete, yeah, apples to oranges because smokeless, yeah. smokeless and black powder. It's just that in itself is makes things so much different right now now my guns are they do perform well with blackhorn 209 uh, as okay. well that you do you do take a velocity hit and you're cleaning more often but they're you know still we're still running 2500 feet per second with a 300 grain bullet and holding sub moa accuracy uh okay. you know everyone asks me like you know how far can your gun shoot and it Ring and steel at a thousand yards is no problem. Uh, the, they'll <laughs> do do that all day long. The the wind calls are you know just like anything is where it gets tough. And, right. Uh, well, with that big you know, of a, for, that, that big of a bullet too that's running down down range. I mean, it's going to yeah. catch more air. It's just the way it is. So. Yeah. It's, it's not a six five. Have, right. Exactly. And we were talking like half the ballistic coefficient, roughly, of yeah. your of your six five. Yeah. So it's still impressive for a muzzle loader, but yeah, you got you gotta be on your wind game. So I mean I, I have I I I personally feel like four or five hundred yards is pretty doable for most guys, mm-hmm. as long as it's the conditions aren't super windy, but mm-hmm. uh you know, I have guys push it further, but I think that four to four to five hundred yards is uh, is generally a good max. It's funny because you'll guys will go out and who aren't really into shooting. I good friend uh, back in Wisconsin that's got one of my muzzleloaders. He's like, man, my gun was just shooting way to the right at 400 yards. I'm like, was there any wind? And it's like, oh, not much. Maybe like five, five, six, seven miles per hour. Yep. And it, he was like eight inches to the right. I'm like, yep, that's, uh, that's about, <laughs> that's, that's more than, more than enough to push you, push you that far at, at 400 yards. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, that's crazy. But that in this day and age, I mean, that's, that's really the, the limiting factor for, you know, whether it's 500 yards with the muzzle loader or a thousand yards with the center fire, uh, you know, you can get your, oh, your SIG kilo or your, uh, Suaro EL range or the the Revic, uh, I, the name escapes me, but the Re- Gunworks Revic range finder. Mm-hmm. As long as you got the right velocity and the you know the correct numbers in there, I mean, it getting the drop out to a thousand yards is is not a challenge. It's it's how good can you call the wind? And That's I mean, the- there's wind meters and stuff, but like out here, the wind is is never the same in two places with the, no. with the canyons and the cuts. And Absolutely so, not. Like maybe yeah. here, maybe here in Iowa where it's like, you know, you can see your dog run for two miles, you know, right. That's a little, right. di- that's a little different, but man, I, that's one thing that's wind calls are tough. It is tough. Yeah. And you can get as, and it's great, you know, get your Kestrel or whatever you have and 
gauge the wind from your position because that's the best information you have. But at the same time, you still gotta you still gotta think, you know, especially if you're shooting cross canyon like you were saying too out there and you know in mountain country, it's like the wind is gonna do completely different shit. And you just gotta be yeah. you basically just gotta get out there and shoot in those conditions to know what's going on and get more experience. That's the, yep. way, that's the only way you're going to get close, especially if you want to do long range shit. Like long, if you're into long range hunting and stuff, me personally, like I, when I'm hunting with a, like a rifle or something, I try to keep it. If it's a center fire, I try to keep it within four, four or 500 yards. It's kind of my, my happy zone with, you know, when, when it comes to hunting, but you know, I still like to be able to shoot out, you know, six, seven, 800 yards and just know, cause you know, you never know what's going to happen. You, maybe you get a little, it's the biggest bull of your life and you, you shank your shot at 400. It's like, and then you gather your senses and he's out there at 650. It's like, it'd be nice to be able to confidently put another round down range if you already injured him, you know? So, cause I don't know about oh, you. Absolutely. I'm a big advocate of, if, if they're still standing, then I'm going to keep firing accurate as accurate shots as I can at them. So until this, I don't know if I should, put this in the public domain, but we, I, I coined this phrase back when, from the deer drive days in Iowa where you, oh, can't, yeah. you can't, you can't wound them worse because right. you get guys where you, you know, you ended up with a, a wounded deer, which I mean, we depend on your group and stuff hap, you know, could happen fairly frequently, but you get mm-hmm. these guys where the, you got a wounded deer running off and they're like, Oh, I didn't have a great shot. I didn't shoot. It's like, well, you can't, you can't wound them worse, right? Yeah. Yeah, until they're down, keep keep life going into them. And, yep. Uh, I think that's yeah, really important, man. I, I don't think there's a, anything to be ashamed of with that. Maybe maybe it gets a bad rap with deer drives where people are literally just slinging lead. But right, you know, you, you got to make that call. I, I'm a I'm big on like I'm not going to judge anyone for what they do. And I say if you're in my group, I'm going to you know have my standards as long as it's as long as you're being safe, then you know, do what you got to do. But, um, if if you're not, if you're not breaking that safety, that safety line, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do for the animal. Cause especially if you already hit it, but I'm, I don't know, man, I'm, everyone has their own little, uh, I don't know, uh, what you call it. They all have their opinions on how other people should hunt, you know? And I'm just a, I'm just a big, a big advocate of if it's still standing and, you have a round in it or you have an arrow in it or whatever it is, then you owe it to the animal to keep shooting until it's, until it's yeah. done, until the game's over, you know? So, uh, I having a one shot kill, dropping a one shot and dead instantly is obviously, especially when you're shooting that's with, with guns, that's what you're going for. Yeah. You're going for that one shot, yeah. one kill kind of thing, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, yep, I got this. I got, I killed this deer in one shot. But then I had a track for a mile and a half. But I, I killed in one shot. Like right, that's not, right. Yeah, that's, that's not that's not better, in my opinion. You know, what's better is no. killing it as fast as you can. So Yeah, and the you know, the other thing I think uh is kind of a misnomer out there is like, you know, gut shots ruin a bunch of meat. Like as long as you you know, even out west, like you can oh, I jokingly called it like poacher quarter or as they call it the gutless i mean the the more common term now i guess is gutless but where you <laughs> the poacher you don't actually 
That's funny. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, so if you're not familiar with it, Google it. The gutless method, basically, yeah. you just, you know, cut down the back and pull everything out without even getting into the, the chest cavity. Uh, and you, and in back, like back in Iowa, you can, you know, back stuff up to of hydric and hose it out. Like gut, gut yeah. shot doesn't, I've never really had it ruin meat. Cause that's, nope. I mean, there's very little meat in that area anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, don't, don't let that gross you out if you're an inexperienced hunter and haven't, haven't dealt with a gut shot before. It's not, mm. not that big a deal. I mean, if, uh, I mean if, if you get a bunch of shit down the hind quarters or whatnot and the inside of the hind quarters, quarters, then, okay, if it's really gross, then maybe trim that out. But the, I mean, the, the meat's yeah. still good. It's, you're not trimming out, you're not trimming out a huge chunk of it. So, exactly. yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm the same way where it's like, you know, I, I'm not afraid to eat a deer or any animal that has been hit in the guts. You know, like you said, yeah. if you get it cleaned out in an appropriate time, then it's not going to do anything. Yeah. Or, or just like, like I said, don't even gut it. Just pull everything yeah. off uh, through the gutless method. And right. yeah, you don't have to worry about that. So I, I, that's still kind of fuzzy in places like Iowa. Because I don't know that you can necessarily quarter a deer legally in Iowa. It's really gray. Like you have to okay. I think you have to keep the head attached if it's a buck, especially. I think actually it might be buck or you have to take everything out no matter what. So, and I think the yeah, the head I mean, still like, has to be it's, attached but if you're going to back to the but, shop anyway, you know, take it back, you know, and then I guess process it. Oh sure, I got you. Saying. The shop, right? Yep. You could do, like it's not you know obviously. I mean, you want to get you know get the guts out and get it cooling down. But if you're you know if you're heading back to the shop and you know, you're 20 minutes away. Just well, don't bother. That's that's the nice thing about the Midwest is that it's not we're not out in the back country of Utah or Arizona or Colorado. We're literally hunting in fields. You know, so right. most of the time, unless you're on public, unless you're on public, but if you're hunting private, you can most of the time you just back the truck up and load the deer up. And take yeah, take it back to the shop and take care of it right away. It's usually within yeah. within an hour or two. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you're out in the back, when you're out doing that backcountry stuff, it's a little different. But eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. Including Calorie Smart Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's Waypoint Pod 50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. But, but yeah, getting back to like wind calls, I think when we were oh. talking last week before the, 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 uh, when we were setting up this podcast, I was telling you about the, the Tuesday I shot at 760. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it was, there was no wind where I was and there was, uh, no wind where the deer was, but I knew just from, 
you know, I, I just, we had been up on top of the mountain glassing when I found, found that buck. So we knew it was, I knew there was a right to left wind. And I mean, there's ways to look at mirage and try and figure out the wind. I'm not anywhere capable of doing that yet. It's one, one of the things on my to-do list to get good at. So, yep. uh, I mean, I, yeah, it was a little bit of a guesstimate, but I, you know, that's right. Shoot. We were talking about shooting big, you know, big calibers, high BC bullets to, make up for some, some margin of error, but I was, uh, uh, you know, I held, held into the wind and it, and it worked out, but, uh, the, and that's, it was also a part where I, I did, it, it took two shots that, you know, the one was, the first shot was a little back, a little, I didn't get it, give it quite enough for wind, but I had to get someone good on the spotter. Uh, so we, you know, gave me a wind call for the second shot and, you know, that one was, was dead on. Yep. Uh, so that that's a big part of, of long range shooting too. Don't just go out there with by yourself and start flinging lead. Like to, mm-hmm. it's really important to have someone on the spot or that can actually help you make the corrections. If, if you do need a follow up shot. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you're out there by yourself, I really think that you really need to cut that distance down. So especially if you're, you know, shooting like a 300 wind mag or a 300 PRC where you're probably not going to be able to call your own shot effectively so but if you have a spotter or someone that's right there with you when you're doing the shooting then it's it's a completely different ball game honestly so yeah no i would i would agree with that 100 mm-hmm. percent. that you, your your distance gets cut when you don't have a have a good spotter yeah. what were you shooting when but, you were out there coos hunting uh that was a, a 300 norma mag 300 norma mag that's right <laughs> yeah. yeah i couldn't remember if it was a 300 prc if it was the uh, three yeah, wind three mag, yeah, three normal. Normal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My other buddy <laughs> takes his three thirty eight Lapua down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this year it was. Uh, yeah, I had I had my three hundred Norma, and my two buddies that went down with me had three hundred PRCs. But. Yep. Uh, you know they yeah there's we didn't do any tracking this this no. year. So we'll put it that way, <laughs> no. but. Uh, it's it's nice having a little margin for error. Uh, the Lapua is overkill, but I I just built that buddy that three thirty eight, and he wanted to take it on the hunt, oh, yeah. so that's why he, why he was hauling it around. But dude, there's no uh, there's really I, no such thing as overkill. You know, it's, no. you can't kill him more dead than dead. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I I did well last year. I did have a six creed more. I took down as well. Uh, a couple of buddies used that on deer actually my my one buddy brian bence he he killed the oh uh, well i had a couple inches broke off but so scored like 119 uh which is oh, nice for a, yeah. yeah 16 and a half inch spread it was a just beautiful buck but he killed that at 420 and oh, shot it put it you know right right through the vitals it took off running and it, brian cycled another one and shot at it running uh, at 420 or 450, I, I don't know. It was, I forget what the range the second shot was at, but the air was dead on its feet. But he uh, he domed it right through the back of the head <laughs> out through an antler on oh, the no. second shot. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it just put a hole through the rack. It didn't actually knock the antler off. So it's got a well, kind of character, character yeah. mount now. He actually... Just picked it up. It's fresh in my memory because he was he was here last week with it. He just picked it up from the tax fairness. But yeah, it's got a you know nice little six grade more hole through the through the one <laughs> antler. But, yeah. Oh, that's funny. 
I mean, yeah. that's, it's one of those things that like we were just talking about, you know, you already had a, you already had a round in them. So it's like, if you, if you can get another shot then you know, get another shot in them. So they're absolutely. And I know like a lot of guys I talked to, they obviously we're not going for headshots here, but if you hit them in the head, like they're not going anywhere for sure. Then, so, right. You know, it's like, it would never go for a necessarily go for a headshot, but it's one of those things where, you know, okay. Cause I was also, I don't know if I told the story yet or not, but, uh, I was, so Iowa just opened up, a a late January rifle hunt. And so we're allowed to use like centerfire rifles after the mu- late muzzleloader season. And it's for antlerless deer only. And so I went out during that just cause I'm like, well, I got this six, five Creedmoor that I wouldn't mind shooting a deer or two with, and I could use a little more meat in the freezer. And so I went out and I was out hunting with a buddy and it was like the last, is the last, it's actually the last seven minutes of like, cause I remember I set the timer on my phone after I started going after this deer and I was chasing after her and I got like, I got pretty close to her and there's this little bit of a hill right there. So I couldn't see her. So I, but I knew she was right there. So I just kind of started, so I crouched down and started cresting over this hill. And right when I saw her, I set up and it was pretty fucking dark. Cause it's like I said, it's the last few minutes of light and, uh, I shot and I didn't know for sure if I hit her or not. And she took off running and then she pretty much immediately bed down as tall grass. And I still had some time because the timer hasn't gone off on my phone yet. So I started going towards this grass and she bumped up and she's running straight away from me. And like I said, I did not know if I already had around her or not. So I wanted to take the one last shot before, you know, I ended shooting light and I started tracking and I shot as she was running away from me and just, she just balled up like oh sh- there, there's that and then my my alarm my alarm went off probably within 30 seconds or a minute like probably 30 seconds to a minute after i took that last shot i'm like geez that was kind of close so i yeah. went i went up to her and i ended up doming her on that last shot but i was like nice. well hey you know put her down so and a six five cream to the head is not pretty but especially, especially when she was within, I don't know. I think she's, she had open about 60 yards when I shot. Oh, yeah. That's so, point, point blank. Yeah. It was, it was brutal, but it put her down and I didn't have to track her. So, but yeah, like yeah, the, uh, the headshot, everyone has the perception that like, if you do it, like a headshot is either a miss or a kill. Like I can confirm from some stories in the past that like headshots are not, I mean, they're, they're not a hundred percent as there's that you can definitely create a, you know, a, a giant fiasco, oh, uh, even sure. neck shots too. Like uh, everyone, th- you know, I've, I've seen generally from unintentional, like bad shots where guys drifted too far, but like, uh, half the neck is, is not vital. Right. And yep. the, the spine actually runs, low in the neck on deer where like it, uh, the, I, sh- I guess I don't know if you'll listen to this but my buddy that, that was running the 338 Lapua last year he he overcompensated for wind at oh, it was like a 450 yard shot and it was it, just a, a kind of a a little bit of a rodeo bunch of people mm-hmm. shouting directions and uh, he shot and I was on spotting scope but I was looking through some grass so I couldn't like I couldn't see real well 
uh, and he, he looked like he smoked the deer. It just went bang right down. And, uh, you know, we're high five and then all that. It was a, we, that was, it was probably like a mid to high teens koozie or just a three by three had some giant G twos on it. Mm-hmm. And we were sent the, the Cowboys went down to haul it up to the top of the mountain and we were, you know, to get some pictures with it and stuff. And we were getting the gear packed up and all of a sudden the radio ranch owners like, uh, the, the deer's still alive. And they're like, oh, they're going to knife it. And the Cowboys were, and then all of a sudden, like, the radio chatter gets, you know, very excited. And we look down there and the, the deer's up on its feet. And they were like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the plan was down there, uh, down in the valley. But <laughs> before long, it, it gained full uh, full use of its leg. Oh, no. Gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, gone, oh, gone. shit. And uh, it, uh, watch the video again. And it, it like I said, he, he like his elevation was perfect, but the wind call wasn't good. And he, mm-hmm. he put it like right in that pocket in front of the shoulders above the spine. And we yes. actually got trail camera pictures of that deer three months later. You could maybe what? see like a little, oh yeah. Yeah. Holy like, shit. It survived a 338. 338. <laughs> yeah. But God, I, we're thinking it, he was shooting the, uh, the 300 grain burger OTM. I'm, I'm thinking if he had maybe been running something like a, you know, a 300 PRC or a 300 Norma or something that had the velocity ramped up a little higher, even like a six, five PRC mm-hmm. with a thinner jack where I, I think it, it may be just penciled right through. Yeah. Uh, Cause in the coos deer aren't very big and his muzzle velocity, he was just shooting factory burger ammo shoots great. But like the, I think it's only like 2,600 feet per second at the muzzle. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, you know, carrying a ton of energy, but you know, that bullet has to disrupt some. So I think it just, yeah, it just zipped right through. Yeah. And, uh, so now anytime we see a, a deer with giant GTs, we, we tell Scott like, Oh man, that reminds me of another deer with giant G2s. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's, that's all fun. His, Scott's dad actually after that happened, I mean, in the midst of giving Scott a lot of crap, uh, Scott said, Dave, he had, uh, he back in the day hunting in West Virginia growing up, he, he recalled the story. He'd shot a deer, same deal. He actually walked up to that deer, stuck his finger in the bullet hole, uh, w- rolled the deer over to start gutting it, and it jumped up and ran off on him. Oh, and, shit. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, he said he he went. I think he went back to town and got a guy with a you know blood trailing dog, and they actually saw the they didn't get the deer. They saw him chasing does on the mountainside that that afternoon. So it's just another nice. high neck high neck shot, and there's just yep. nothing nothing there. It stunned some for a little bit, but yep. uh, yeah. So yeah, anyway. it's, it sucks when that happens. It's obviously not what we're going for, but you know, it's everyone everyone's done some had some shit happen like that you know where you know you end up wounding a deer or an animal and you know shit happens kind of thing you just try to move on and (laughs) make better shots next time but but with as far as the headshot thing goes yeah i've seen some pictures and videos of deer that have like their jaws blown off and stuff like oh gosh yeah that's not a good look yeah you you know you don't no not a good look at all you don't want a deer oh they're starving to death basically with a bone off jaw it's like what is he supposed to do then you know 
Right. Right. Exactly. But yeah. So. But you know, shit does happen. You you hope it doesn't, but sometimes it does. You just try to. That's why we practice. And it, you know, when it comes to shooting too, I really stress to people to be actually be honest with yourself. Like really go out there and be a hundred percent honest with yourself and your abilities. Like it's especially with guys, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, dude fucking thousand yards no problem you know right but that's a fucking long shot all right that's oh a, yeah i gotta stress even, it. that's like, a long fucking shot so <laughs> i shoot at a thousand all the time the range my the range i do all my test firing at has steel out to about a thousand fifty and it's going from you know seven eight hundred yards i mean that's that's really no big deal but i mean the wind, all the factors going from 700, 800 to 1,000. I mean, you're just your energy's falling off. Yep. It, yeah, it is not a shot to take lightly. And to, I guess, tie it all back together to the start where we were talking about actually, you know, getting off the bench, go out, go out and shoot a PRS match. And not only, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the shooting from the different positions in the PRS match, but you got people watching, you're on a timer, your heart rate goes up. Uh, you know, it's so it's, you know, it doesn't perfectly create a hunting scenario, but it, it definitely gives you that training to show like what happens when your heart rate goes up and kind of recreates that buck fever uh, moment. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, yeah, just no substitute for practice and just get getting out there. Yep. And then, and in this day and age, I mean, there's really no excuse not to do it. I mean, there's there's so many regional PRS matches and. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the national circuit, I mean, it's like anything where guys take it to the extreme with the Mm -hmm. competition, but the, the local club matches, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few guys there that are, you know, whatever over the top competitive that, you know, their mom didn't hold them enough and growing up or what, (laughs) but they're like, you know, 50, 60 year old guys like trying to game a, a club PRS match. But most of the guys there, you know, just having a good time and they're, you know, more than happy to, give you pointers and uh, help the the new NRL hunter series. I haven't had time to, to shoot that, but that's, that's even more like hunting where you, you know, you start back from where you're shooting. You have to run up, find your targets, range them and shoot them from field positions. Yep. Uh, so if, if anyone's like, you know, actually wanting to do long range hunting, I think it really starts back at the, you know, back at practicing like you play. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I had a buddy on, uh, Landon Baker, and Darren DeBoer actually just got on um, launching his podcast is the past two weeks. But they're two. Uh, so Landon, he does more of the PRS stuff, and that's what he was saying. Is like, man, it's most of the guys that you talk to out there. They're just they're there to help. Like they want people. They want to get people into the sport and grow the sport and keep things going. And they're more than happy to help you out with whatever your whatever your goals are. You know, if your goal isn't to be uh, a PRS champion type deal, then it's still fun to get out there and shoot and get that experience and get more of that real life experience that you're saying, get, get that heart rate up and get in a competition and, you know, really try and just see what happens. You know, even if you place last, you're still going to walk out of there with something. You know, you're going to get some, oh, yeah. you're going to get some nuggets of information. You're going to come out better at the end of it for sure. And then Darren DeBoer, he's a, NRL 22 guy. So he shoots like long range 22s, which that's fucking wild in itself. He's talking about oh, shooting, yeah. shooting over like, yeah. you know, four or 500 yards of the 22. I'm like, jeez. 
but it's like mile shots with a center fire basically but i mean that's yeah, another good way to figure out you know see what wind does and stuff like that oh that becomes a major factor with a with a 22 for sure and that, that was the thing talking with landon i'm glad i set him up the way i did because landon he does a lot of the you know he shoots a six five and you know he's got a decked out custom gun um and everything else and he's doing great then darren's like is it, is cool isn't it him because that is something that you can get anyone into 22 is 22 ammo is super cheap you know the yep. even the high-end 22 uh uh rifles aren't that they're not near as expensive as you'd think so it's a little bit easier to get into something like that so and it, it yeah, all I mean, helps, and just you know? I mean, show show up with a ten twenty two for your first match. I mean, just get out there and burn, you yep. know, burn some lead. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah no, I showed up my first PRS match. I showed up with a six five PRC, which is a horrible round for that. I mean, it just you, you're shooting a bunch of shots, and but it was you know it was, <laughs> it was I was just going into it with uh, uh, way too much. I mean, a 6.5 PRC doesn't kick bad, but when you're shooting 100 shots and you're, you know, trying to spot your shots from awkward positions, it's not, it's not the the gun you pick if you want to compete and place well in PRS. But well, uh, you well, know, it was, it was fine. Yeah. Um, what would be your go-to for something like that? if, if say, you were to build just a a competition gun? So I, well, I've got, I mean, I did, I went and built one then, right? I own a gun company, so it's not like that. True. Yeah, that's knock right. Out, <laughs> knock out another gun. Yeah. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah, I kind of forgot who I was talking to yeah. for a second there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so I went with a, a six grade more. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the, any of the, you know, there's like the six GT, the six BRA. I mean, I think any of those are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't always have time to reload. There's a lot of you know, fairly reasonably cost six create more ammo yep. available. So I, that's what, that's what I went with. And I don't, it's a, you know, a straight 1.2 inch contour. I, I had it on the scale the other day. I think it weighs like 13 pounds without, without an optic on it, which isn't particularly heavy for, for PRS like those, you know, no, it's not going back to gun movement and stuff, you know, more weight, is better so yeah i think uh, but yeah i mean Landon said his was like ridiculous like 21 pounds or some shit like that probably so probably that's <laughs> about right it's awesome though i mean you just sit you just sit there with that six creed more i mean it doesn't even move you just even at 100 yards you can watch the bullet yep. hit the target pretty much so uh yeah we're gonna go out i guess i just bought two cases of the hornady i think 108 match uh for the for that gun, so I, I was talking about getting dragging out a couple of my buddies to to that match. We're gonna see if we can't burn up that barrel. With all three of us there shooting the same gun for a match. <laughs> but <laughs> my one buddy, he needs the most. He needs he needs the. He's got buck fever, something horrible. He's the one who needs it the most. He's oh, right. a lefty, so he he's really gonna he's gonna have fun running a right-handed gun in a PRS match. But it'll it'll all be good. Oh, he'll so, be fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, it's just, that's, that's where I can't emphasize enough. Like just make the time and get out there. And I mean, really the only, the only, I, the, the first time I went out, there was a, another guy in my group. He showed up with a, a 308 ADL. So he just top load, and, you know, he could fit like three rounds and he had to top load the rest of it. I mean, I probably wouldn't 
that way he wasn't having a ton of fun. Like, <laughs> you know, with, the, with two minutes to get eight shots off, he, yeah, he timed out every time. Yeah. But he was, he, I think he went into it with the wrong expectations. Like he just got frustrated because he wasn't getting all the shots off. Like who cares if you don't get all the shots off, you know, just if you're, you know, if you're there for self-improvement, sure. Show up with that gun, but don't show up with the expectation you're gonna get all right. shot all all you know all your shots off in the allotted time. But yeah, uh, if you're just going there for self self improvement, then yeah, that's I mean, go there with with what you got. You know, there's and that's the thing too. It's, yeah. There's no reason to if you're like you can totally shoot these PRS matches with just your standard hunting rifle too, and just go out there and have a good time and meet some new people and shoot your shoot your gun you can get because that's the thing with uh with bow hunting too i'm you know really into bow hunting as well and the more you just spend time with your weapon whether it's a bow a handgun a rifle a muzzler the more time you spend with it just you learn everything that there is about that weapon you know so you're just going to become better with it and you just need to spend the time don't just go out and zero your don't go, just go out and zero your rifle and then be like, yep, it's zero. Put it in the safe and don't touch it until season starts, you know. Get out there and spend some time it, with it. Exactly. And that's exactly. a fun, a really fun way to get out there and spend some time with your your rifles and stuff is to go out and shoot some matches. I've never shot a match, but I've done, you know, I don't know. I, I would, I'm going to someday. I just haven't yet. But, yeah, six, that 6.5 six, Creedmoor would be perfect to, to get out there oh, and yeah. shoot a match with. So, yeah, and I just have a, uh, a cheap Ruger American, but I mean, man, that honestly for the, the price of that gun, it's pretty, pretty damn decent. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, not every factory gun is going to shoot great. I mean, that's no kind of the, the, the plug for, you know, a custom rifle for me. It's like, if you have more time, you have, you value your money or your time more. And for, you know, it's an, it's an honest trade off question for people. Like if you, if you've got time, then, buy a couple of factory guns and shoot them and see which one shoots good. If you, you know, if you don't have a bunch of time, but you got the money, then you know, that's what you're buying for me is, you know, the guarantee that it's going to shoot, yep, shoot great right out of the box. But, yep. but yeah, there's lots of, I mean, if, if every factory gun shot is good as the best factory gun, I mean, you know, it, it put a major dent in the custom market. But yeah, there's, for sure. There's, I hear a lot of horror stories too. So oh. you just, you never know, you know, it's like that box of Forrest Gump box of chocolates. You just never know for sure what you're going to get. But, yep. uh, yeah, that's, uh, there's, there's just, I mean, in this day and age, the opportunities out there for, for shooting and stuff or, I mean, it, it's incredible compared to what it was 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I never like, I don't know. PRS and shooting competitions like that like weren't a thing back when I was younger. It was just I, we had our local conservation club that you you could go and shoot twenty twos at. I think they had a like a a, a twenty two season where they'd shoot inside like indoors during the winter with twenty two handguns and you know I don't know it's more of like a gentleman's match kind of thing, but. Yeah, yeah. This this stuff didn't exist really when I was younger, and I don't know. Maybe that's a reason why I joined the army too, because I was just really into guns and all that stuff, and wanted to get my hands on every type of gun I could get. So ended up being an infantryman and then going to town. So, but nice, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Uh, with when it comes to rifles, especially because. So, how long have you been building uh, center fires for? 
I don't know, like six, years. about six about years. Six years, okay. Yeah. The thing with me is like when it comes to factory stuff, I really, for me personally, I really want a custom custom rifle someday because you know it's one of those things where you know you can pass it down. It's like it becomes like kind of like, like a family heirloom at that point to have one just nice custom gun where it's like, yeah, this is you know you put the money into it and you you know I don't know it's just something cool about that. But uh, with factory guns, it's like I really draw the line. Like there's some really good factory guns out there getting up to like the fifteen hundred dollar to two thousand dollar range. But if you're gonna go, if you find a factory gun that's over like that two thousand dollar mark, then you really should probably start looking into custom guns, just because you're gonna get yeah. such a better quality rifle for you know a little bit more. I don't know. But it, it, I mean, Grant's probably about double. But the difference between a two thousand dollar factory gun like a like a I don't know, like a Browning X bolt, we'll say, just for example, the difference between that and like a thirty, I don't know, three thousand dollar Christensen Arms rifle it's not that drastic but when you compare the expo to like a four thousand dollar custom gun it's significantly different so yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I, I think you're yeah it's and i i think we're kind of at the well we're even this year we're starting to see the everything go up a notch where like two thousand bucks isn't that is not a there's there's a lot of i'm not real up to speed on the cost of mass-produced factory guns, but I think from what I've been hearing, two thousand bucks is kind of run-of-the-mill, you know, commonplace. I'm mean, not saying it's the budget model, but there's every like most of the manufacturers are offering something that cracks two thousand bucks. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah, as you like you said, you're already going to spend twenty five hundred or three thousand. You know, maybe maybe save your money for an extra year or whatever and yep. actually get get exactly what you want from someone that you know is gonna build a build a gun that shoots and uh you know obviously we we stand by what we do here at arrowhead i'm uh, actually up to to three and three employees now uh i've got uh oh nice a full-time full-time gunsmith and then a, a lady that uh, ships all of our component orders that's uh, a big part of arrowhead is we actually we do a lot of uh, component sales triggers uh lot of trigger tech triggers hawkins mm-hmm. scope bases bottom metal and then a whole bunch of muzzle loader accessories uh like re- re- we still do those replacement barrels that i started with and you know then a host of other things mm-hmm. uh, and then i've got a guy that that's running the phones for me just so i can focus on uh running the shop better but back to going with a Smith, like, I, I mean, I'm very proud of what we do at Arrowhead. There's, there's a lot of good Smiths out there right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, guys should shop around, find someone they're comfortable with. Um, there's a lot of hacks out there too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. oh yeah. my word, like I've seen some stuff. It, it just, I actually was, I, I sent a, oh, I had a guy, uh, I told Jake, my, the guy who, does runs the front office for me, like uh, send this guy a bill, you know, invoice him for the, these uh, gun parts. And I'm like, knock off 75 bucks. He's like, why are you discounting? I'm like, I feel bad for the guy. Cause he just, he, he, he had just had an experience with one of those hacks out there. And, oh no. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So he was like, yeah, the guy had butchered a butchered a gun for me. He's having a bunch of problems with it. So I'm like, yeah, just, you know, whatever we'll try and, Help me just, a little bit. I just feel yeah. bad for the guy. It's that, it's that Iowa nice in me, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, definitely do your research and don't. 
I mean, I, I'd say with optics, gen, like a lot of times uh, it's fairly safe with optics to say like price equate, equals value. With, with custom rifles, price does not necessarily equal equal quality. There's there's a lot of stuff, a lot of very inferior stuff out there that's as expensive, you know, as expensive as it gets. I'm not like not not pointing fingers at like Gunworks. Like that's that's one of the more expensive ones out there. Like Gunworks is very innovative. Uh, yep. Yeah, nothing but good things to say about them. So don't read in. Yeah, if anyone's thinking, I'm pointing fingers at like a company like that works. That, no. That's definitely not the case. It's generally uh, more the the smaller to medium sized companies out there that that yep. really put out some sketchy stuff. So just like anything, do do your due diligence. I mean, and talk to you know, don't don't just buy something and not talk to someone that's got a product from that person and find out, you know, do they, do they answer the phone after you get the gun? You know, was, (laughs) was everything up to, was up to snuff. So there, there's a lot of horror stories out there, but a lot of good, a lot of really good Smiths out there too. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that are into it and getting into it and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. Is there anything that you would look for? Like just do a quick look, like, I guess, look around. I, if you're talking to a guy that's a gun, that's a custom gun maker, is there anything you would personally look for that's like a like a tell like kind of a, a sign, I guess? I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, I've run into oh my word that that, that would might be another podcast like the, okay. <laughs> the, the 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 some of the stories. I mean, I've had there's guys out there have like sold pictures of mine and pawned them off as theirs. I mean, I had one weirdo like ordering ordering parts from me under a, well, it was the same guy who had shared pictures, like pawned off. There was pictures of guns I had built on his website. Uh, he was selling them as guns he had built, but he was, he was ordering parts from me under a fake name. Some of these components I sell, I guess, cause he was embarrassed to like, he thought maybe I would just cancel his orders after that bullshit. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know, but there's, there's some, yeah, I mean it's uh it there's some pretty crazy shit out there. So I I mean I don't know that there's necessarily it really it's if, Go if with you your can't gut. find <laughs> you go, yeah well even I mean I the guy had me fooled. I mean I oh, guess I but I'm I'm as trusting as they come. I mean yeah. I so I, I that doesn't really mean anything. But uh <laughs> yeah, holy crap. Like you you got to be careful out there. So uh yeah if it, if I mean if it if if it sounds too good to be true and you can't find like real people that have been running these, you know, people's stuff, like there's enough options out there. Like don't, don't let somebody just sell you a bill of goods. And if it's, I mean, I, I've gotten to the point where I have enough components on order where I can have, uh, you know, I, I have builds in stock ready to go and I can kind of shorten up lead times on some, some stuff. And there's other, there's other manufacturers out there like that, but, uh, that that may be the one of the biggest things is you know just uh, well that ties into like lead times. I mean, there's the tax. I think taxidermists and in gunsmiths like half of them get cut from the same cloth. I mean, like how many <laughs> yeah. horror stories do you know of uh, taxidermists like saying, oh yeah, it'll be six months, and like six years later, you know, the guys still don't have their stuff. So, right. uh, you know, just nailing people down on lead times. Uh, you know, if, if they don't have the parts in house, especially in this day and age, or like have, 
like, oh yeah, I, I've, I mean, cause I have PO, I was standing POs with, with companies from like a year ago. So I, I continually have a cycle of actions and barrels and stocks coming in. But if, if those guys, if, if a guy doesn't have that stuff in the house, I mean, it tells you it's going to be three or four months. I mean, he's just full of shit because mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff has taken over a year or, you know, at least six to eight months to get in house, depending on what it is. So, yeah, but definitely the references thing, I would say, is, is the biggest, biggest thing you have to go off of. Yep. And that's how, I mean, that's how I end up wanting to hook, like, I kind of talk with you, I guess, because, uh, buddy of mine, Lee, her, he, sh- he shoots one of your smokeless muzzle loaders and he took, I don't know, his, uh, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, if it was two years ago or what, but he shot a, two, a monster two years ago. Yeah, two yeah. years ago. Yeah. He shot a monster buck with one of your, one of your muzzle loaders and he just was in love with it. And he's telling me some of the things about, about what he's shooting. Like, you know, just, the the velocity that he's getting out of it. I'm just like, that is insane. Cause I'll, I'll be honest with you. I am not a, a muzzleloader expert. I am not a smokeless muzzleloader expert. I don't really know shit about it. And that's why I love talking to guys like you where it's like, it's very interesting. It's amazing how you're getting that much velocity out of a muzzleloader and getting that much accuracy out of a muzzleloader too. It's in, it, it just blows my mind. And yeah, he was, when he was talking about it, I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. So nice. Yeah, but that's one of those things like reference. You know, he shot a huge buck at, you know, I think he, I don't know, I don't know what yards he shot it at, but it was, it wasn't super far. But he's he just swears by him now. He's like, this is the the best thing since sliced bread, and you can't use them in every state. Like, there's a lot of states that actually outlaw smokeless muzzleloaders, but yeah, well, that's uh, I mean, the, I mean, as of this recording, right, everything's subject subject to change. But like right. the Midwest is pretty lenient on that. Uh, Iowa, are. Kansas, Nebraska, uh, Illinois, and then moving east, same deal. There's you know Michigan, I think, is blackhorn only. But you go out to the southwest, and actually, like I said, the, my guns are still smokeless powder capable. So uh, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. Uh, Colorado has a 50 cal requirement for elk, but you could still use the 45 cal for deer. Now, okay. Colorado, Colorado, Nevada, and New Mexico require, they, they don't allow scopes. You have to use a, you know, you use an iron sight on them, but there's a lot, that's no problem putting a, a good peep sight yep. uh, on them. Yeah. For but sure. there, there's a lot of versatility across the country with them, even though you might not be able to use smokeless in, in some of the states you, you know, we talked, you can still get close to, well, 20, right around 2,500 feet per second uh, with a 300 grain bullet mm-hmm. using, using Blackhorn 209 and that'll, you know, that'll do an elk at 500 yards. No problem. Yep. And that's the thing too, with those states that don't allow uh, scopes or optics and you have to use iron sights. It's all, it, it is, it's in my opinion, to be better to get, a more expensive custom muzzleloader from like a guy like you where it shoots way flatter than anything you can get out, out of the factory. So if you're shooting, if you're shooting irons, it's like, I don't know, it almost be more of a selling point to get a really nice muzzleloader just cause you're already, at, Absolutely. Like, already, already at a handicap there without not having a scope. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean the, the trajectory on these makes, 300 yards without like Gunworks, the, they have their Revic XO peep, which, which allows dialing. But the 45 is so flat where you're, 
you know, two and a half, three inches high at a hundred, you're dead on at 200 and like 10 inches low at 300. Oh, yeah. You don't, that you can accomplish that just with holdovers without having to, to dial. And yep. I mean, if back to being honest about our effective ranges, like yep. 90, I'd say 99% of the people, 300 yards is plenty far for them with a, with a peep site. So absolutely. And especially since you the whole allure to a muzzle, a muzzle hern, especially in those Western States is that I know like for Colorado, it's, during the archery season, like later in the archery season. So you're hunting them closer to the rut and stuff too. Right. When it comes to elk, but I'm sure deer and stuff too. Like you're getting it, you're getting in there earlier before all the center fire, like rifle season starts. So you're getting a leg up in the season because you're taking a handicap with the muzzleloader kind of deal. But honestly, with a, with like an arrowhead, when talking with you an arrowhead muzzleloader is not, I wouldn't even necessarily call that a handicap besides only getting one shot every, I don't know, 45 seconds, however fast you can load it. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's 40, probably 45 seconds. Yeah. I mean, the, the downside it, like where you, you know, you run into issues with, with longer shots and when like you could, you could definitely just send stuff out there and uh, you know, with a good spot or correct your wind hold, but, that's where, you know, with a variable wind, you're coming up, uh, you know, you're, you got to stand up to load the gun, yep. get back down, reacquire the target. I mean, it doesn't, you know, all you're doing is pouring the powder seat in the bullet. I mean, yeah, it's 30 to probably 30 to 45 seconds, uh, to load one. So it's not bad, but by the time you do all that minute and a half has elapsed and yeah, the wind, the wind can be totally different where with a center fire, you know, you shoot, cycle around and get your call from your spotter and you know two or three seconds later you send the next shot i mean the yeah. bullet's barely even even there before the next bullet's on its way so yep. yeah it makes it uh it makes it a lot harder to to make wind corrections yeah for sure um so so i don't know how much time you have uh do you have enough time to run through a couple more things real quick yeah sure okay, okay. um i was gonna ask uh what kind of like parts are you using on your center fires like are, are you running like what kind of actions and stock and kind of run sure some of the stuff so those, if you don't mind yeah so same i mean it's kind of same a lot of the same components for muzzle or, or center fires so okay uh we're primarily using mcmillan stocks nice. uh mcmillan's 20 minutes from us here and uh, Arizona. So I, actually, I just ran down there this morning to pick up some stuff that was done and uh, drop off a couple to get painted. But uh, so we just got a really good working relationship with them. I also use a few stocks uh, from AG Composites. Uh, I haven't really. There's they offer some a couple of configurations that people like, some good paint patterns. So they're they're mm-hmm. they're a decent company uh, as well. Uh, I like the just being really close with McMillan. If there's an inlet that's not perfect or I need something tweaked, I just walk in the back door and say, you know, Hey Mary, and I you know, need this tweaked. And <laughs> uh, it makes, makes it real easy to get a, you know, a perfect product. Oh, that's uh, yeah. For actions, I'm using uh, Kelbley and Defiance. Okay. Uh, so Kelbley's out of Ohio. Defiance is out of Montana. Uh, not, 
the, the, they're both really good actions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of six one half dozen the other. Um, I've been using Kelby the longest, but been using a lot of Defiance lately too. Those Defiance, uh, Defiance are so popular right now. Yeah, they're they're the number one. I we'll see we'll see what happens. They you know they did just come under new ownership. Uh, oh, did bought they? Back. Ex- extreme outer limits bought them actually. You same guy who bought McMillan like three or four years ago when Kelly McMillan retired. Extreme Outer Limits. Did, did, did he has a did he have a hunting show? Uh yeah, I think yeah, okay. I think he does. I think yeah, I was just watching so them at work still today. does. Yeah, uh, but he uh, yeah. So they they did like an internal cost analysis and decided they had to hike the cost of defiance actions a bunch. So they oh. we'll see we'll see if that might slow them down a little bit on popularity. They were I mean they were pretty much average price before and they I mean it's like sixteen fifty now for one of their defiance anti action. So. It's about a six hundred dollar price increase. Yeah, um, I didn't think it. Yeah, I thought. So, it, damn, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thankfully, I still have you know I have a few uh, that world pricing, not yeah. through all the through all those yet. But uh, so so there, that might we'll see how how that does for them moving forward. But as far as like the quality of the action, you know, they're Defiance and Calbly both really good. Oh yeah, but, you know, both of those companies take really good care of me if there's an issue and. Uh, you know, anything like that. Barrels, uh, pretty much using Brooks, Brooks barrels and then uh, Preferred barrels. Uh, Preferred's a newer company. Uh, they're, they're out of Utah. They're really big on uh, carbon barrels, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they do a lot of steel barrels too. Uh, actually, they just they just started doing carbon like less than a year ago. They were, they had carbon available prior, but they were subbing it out. They just brought carbon in-house recently okay but they've they've really got it dialed in their wrap is super consistent yeah uh so yeah they make well you probably saw some of the barrels there at the iowa deer classic yeah, a couple weeks ago like they're nice yeah, super super sharp yep. that uh, combo metal they've got a uh it's a nickel coated carbon fiber that they weave in gives it some a silver uh some some of it's a silver look you can hop yep. on the preferred's website or go through it to Arrowhead on Instagram and look through some of our pictures and you'll see it there, but it's just a very aesthetically pleasing look. Yeah, uh, and then uh, trig- triggers were exclusively using trigger tech triggers. Uh, I've been using those for five or six years now and been, been really happy with how, how they perform. I personally love their two stage triggers, which for guys who don't know that, like your, your like traditional trigger in a Remington 700, Winchester model 70, whatever is a single stage. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, as soon as you start pulling it, once it breaks, it fires the two stage, you know, with your military background, you're probably familiar with two stage where yep. there's a bunch of creep, or it's not really creep. That's the first stage. But then yep. when you hit that wall right after it breaks, you know, after you hit that wall, you know, as soon as you go any further, it's going to go off. And I like the two stages because you're out hunting, your fingers are cold, you're excited. You know, you're running, you know, say a two pound, pound and a half trigger. Like, you don't have much margin for error as soon as you touch that trigger. The two stage lets you, you know, that first stage lets you address the trigger, know you're on it. And then, you know, as soon as you hit that wall, you know, it's going to fire. So I think practically it's, it's a better trigger for, for hunting situations. Some people can't get used to it, but I love it. I've, I've always kind of, 
I don't know, I'm I'm definitely more used to a single stage trigger, just because that, that's the most that's the most common. Um, but sec, two stage triggers are very nice. Like they're it's just uh, it's two totally different things. Like I feel like some people that get a little I don't know buck fever or maybe they get a little target panic or something. They really like a really nice light single stage just because they can kind of get off of it, get on it, and just pop it off right away and they don't have to think yeah. about it but it's a two-stage you really have to get in the mindset of like okay here we go you start pulling it's almost more of like a back tension release like if you're a bow hunter you know if you get on a back back tension release you're you hit it and you just pull 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 until it goes off it's like a single stage it's kind of like that where you're you're feeling that slack you're getting back there and then you're hitting that wall and you're like okay here we go here we go and then doosh, and it goes off but i don't know i just i've always been i'm much more used to a single stage but uh, I, I've definitely shot quite a few uh, two stage triggers as well, and they're I mean, they're just too, they're just different. You just gotta get used to it. If that's what you got, you know. Yep. yep there's there's exactly. definitely pros, there's pros and cons to each side, for sure. Yeah. But, awesome, man. Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else you wanted to hit on real real quick before we get out of here? I want to take up your whole night. So no, I th- I think that that pretty well covers it. Yeah. We, feels like it's good conversation yeah. hopefully the listeners find it entertaining and, oh uh, i think so yeah. i've i have faith in my in the listeners here at victory drive they're you know great a people and they always have good yeah, feedback well, so <laughs> no i think, this, I, I, think it went, I think it went great man you're you're a wealth of knowledge and i really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of that with everyone and um definitely showing the difference between a you know talking the difference between a factory gun and a custom gun it it really is different. If you've never shot a custom gun or been around them, even if just holding them, it's you can just tell it's a completely it's a completely different rifle. It's just yeah. from everything from the fit and finish, you can just tell. So definitely check Absolutely. definitely check you guys out. Like it's I I think you, I'm really interested in your guys' um, muzzle loaders. Obviously, living in Iowa, but man, I do love me some rifle shooting too. So. Yeah, it's maybe a thirty, maybe a thirty-five wheel, and yeah, there a, you go. It's a fun one for Iowa. I was gonna say that's a that is a barn burner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like three thousand feet per second, two hundred. That's Kyle there at my, in my booth at the Iowa Deer Classic. He he's had one for a couple of years, and yeah, I think they. Well, they I think within like two hours of opening day of the youth season, the first year they were legal, they shot a deer with one. So they, they're pretty sure they had the first thirty five wheel and kill in Iowa. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I, I was talking uh, about quite a bit about that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, hilarious. he loves that gun. But it it yeah, it's it's a cool cartridge and like it I mean if your practical range is you know, if you only feel like you're a four or five hundred yard shooter, like if you're if you're living in Iowa and you might go out west, like a 35 wheel and will kill an elk at four or 500 yards, no problem. Mm-hmm. Where you could, you know, you don't necessarily have to, you, maybe you could buy one nice custom and get get by with it. But uh, anyway, I think we're, we're going to head down another tangent if we go too far on yeah. that one. But, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe you're, if, if you want to come back on again someday, we'll go down that rabbit hole a little bit more too. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, get into some ballistics and yeah, stuff for sure. like that. That'd be fun. <laughs> Awesome. Cool. Well, I pre- I appreciate it, man. If there's anything you want to plug real quick, um, go. Yeah, go no. Uh, so yeah, we're Arrowheads on uh, Instagram, Arrowhead Rifles, YouTube, uh, website ArrowheadRifles.com. 
uh, we're actually YouTube. We, ha we haven't been refreshing videos much lately, but we actually finally got a little video studio set up. We're going to start putting out some info content, how to stuff mm -hmm. on the YouTube channel. So yeah, if you want to hop on there and give us a follow, that would be great. But yeah, thanks for the opportunity to come on. Jacob enjoyed bullshitting with you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll Absolutely. stay in touch. Absolutely, man. Anytime. <laughs>